0: And welcome to this week at the movies. I'm Matt and I'm Eric. And this week, it's more like this year at the movies because for our last episode of 2023, we are going to be giving our top 12 films of the year. Uh, we've spent the last uh, couple of weeks really making sure we crammed in as many things as possible. Uh, I don't know how you feel, Eric. I feel pretty good about my list. I've been rearranging even as much as uh, yesterday, and I took a hard look at it again this morning. Oh, I'm
1: sure there would be changes that I would make if I saw more, if I got to watch once, twice, or you know
0: anything like that. But it's time. It is indeed time. Uh, The year 2023 is frittering away. Part of the reason we're coming to you live tonight is uh, so that, hey, you're you, you have something to watch, and maybe you're sober, um, because we've got uh, New Year's Eve coming. A lot of people have a lot of parties. Not, not me per se. I like to stay in and then protect my cat from the fireworks. But, you know, other people have bigger plans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so let's dive right in we are going to alternate back and forth through our top 12 and i will start out first with my number 12 which was killers of the flower moon this one from director martin scorsese uh based on the true story this one is not an easy watch it's also not a brief watch it's about th- i think it was three and a half hours This was a year of long films, uh, so it doesn't even feel like it's out of place anymore. Uh, But it was exceptionally long. Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro I thought were good in this, but Lily Gladstone, um, to me, gave the best performance. And I think she's probably the one that's going to be the most recognized as we move through awards season here. Uh, This is a tough story to watch, as I mentioned. It's not always uh, happy. I actually, the, I know some people were split a little bit about how Scorsese handles the ending, especially that last few minutes. It really worked for me. I thought it was powerful. I went back and forth uh, with this and a few other films, but ultimately it just made the cut and landed inside my top 12. And Eric, I know you have it somewhere on your list, too, so I'll uh, let you get to that when you get to it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, why don't you give us your number 12
1: my number twelve, I'm still confused by, because there there are again this, it's it's tricky when you look at what made the list versus didn't make the list in this spot, but it's uh it's Wonka, which has it's by no means a perfect movie, but then again it's not my number one on the list. I. I Right there, that Timothy Chalamet like has just enough charm. The production design was just enough, and there are so many touches to the writing that made it feel not sanitized but still family friendly. I think Paul King, that director, is a genius when it comes to like family entertainment, and I am like gonna be ready in line for anything that he does moving forward. And as I kind of ranted about before, I I kind of genuinely want to see a sequel to this movie. Um, just to see if they're willing to go in a bizarre direction with it. There's just, it felt so much like a a big production, a big theatrical production that was worth the time to go out and see. And it was very, very fun.
0: Yeah. And I have that one on my list. So I will get to that when we come to it. You know, I just rewatched it again and, um, I kind of feel the same as you, especially with the way that, that it ends. Uh, what is your number eleven?
1: Number eleven for me is one of the ones I saw late in the game. It's the holdovers. I uh, I don't even know uh, all of the names of the performers in this movie, but uh, the this treatment of of shooting films. I believe this one was digital and then printed on film and then scanned on film, just to give it this really authentic look of, of how and when it was made. Uh, you know, it's it just. There's one other movie on my list that does this in a, a, I feel like a stronger way, but it's a movie that is so focused on its characters that it, it makes a movie that could have been a sort of coming of age story that you've seen before, something really unique and it was hilarious. And I love the relationships that are formed in it. And there's something about that tone of just like a vacation in the winter. Maybe I saw it at the right time. I don't know, but it just like it really yeah,
0: Christmas movie.
1: Hit. Yeah. It's, it was, it, it, I just, oh man, I loved watching it. Like I wish I had more people to watch it with because it just felt like such a good, it felt comforting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I enjoyed the holdovers quite a bit. It is now streaming on Peacock. It just dropped yesterday on Peacock, so you can get it a little more easily. Thought Paul Giamatti was great. Uh, Divine Joy Randolph uh, is actually on my short list for supporting actress. Has uh-huh. a turn in that. This uh, this is on my longer list. Um, when I publish my um, top twelve of the year in written form, which will go out on Thursday, I actually have my honorable mentions down to twenty, and this uh, made that short okay 20 seems like a lot until you realize I'm currently sitting at 471 2023 films of screen. So mm-hmm. uh my number 11 was your number 12 and that is Wonka uh, a movie that you know I originally after I watched it I obviously liked it we talked about it on um, I think it was the last episode of the show actually before uh, Christmas I liked it a lot. Um, I didn't initially have it up in my top 12, but it was a movie I kept thinking about, really enjoyed it. I watched it again yesterday. I actually watched it with my wife, um, and I think we both enjoyed it. I like the music. I like the set design, the colorful world, Timothy Chalamet's uh, performance, the entire cast. There is just a beauty in this, and I ended up doing some rearranging and bumping it up. Uh, My number 10 is actually a foreign language feature entry. This was the official entry from uh, France, Uh, The Taste of Things. It is about a 19th century French gourmet and his cook. Uh, and it's both their love affair with each other and their love affair with um, food. And when I read the description, I thought there was uh, no way I was going to enjoy this. And from the opening sequence on, uh, when they show them making this, this incredible meal, I was just completely enraptured by the world and drawn in. This one actually doesn't open in theaters until uh, the middle of February for a wide release, but um, got to see the screener. And I said, um, this one, they chose over Anatomy of a Fall to be the official entry from France in the Academy Award uh, competition. Good. Yes, and I actually... I ended up liking it more. I was At first I was like, oh, it's kind of weird that they picked, you know, because now follows the Palme d'Or winner at Cannes. And this movie is great. I really love Juliette Binoche in this movie as well, an incredible actress. Um, uh, she is one of the main characters. She's the the French cook. It was just a beautiful um, film, and I found myself really drawn to it. So that is my number 10. Eric, what is your number 10
1: well, I just real quick, since that is not on my list, want to say that it is now my number one want to watch in the next week. What is it called? The Taste of Things?
0: The Taste of Things. And yeah, I think the it I think it opens wide. It's I think it's like February 23rd is when it's supposed to open. Some of these foreign films will open to a wide audience in theaters um, in January and February. There's actually a few things. Eric and I both have one thing that's on here that will go wide uh, next weekend, the first weekend in January, which we're going to do a full review there's quite a few things that kind of get that limited dump at the end of the year that will then go wide so you will have an opportunity to say see this one i just liked it a lot
1: that's i'm mm, i have some thoughts about anatomy of a fall um I'm upset at that very, very great movie. I, I I I dislike it horribly. Um
0: wait till you see the zone of interest.
1: Anyways, my my number 10 slot was probably the biggest comedic surprise to me of the year. And I saw Joyride, and and it just it had something and it had fun and it had a spark, but there's something about bottoms that has stuck with me through the entire year just the irreverence and the complete lack of con- of concern in the writing for consequences and just the freedom of of characters to just do things and just explore how entertaining they have the potential to be that director paired with that actress and Shiva baby there's like it's a very interesting pairing of these two movies where one of them it's just locked so hard in the anxiety of reality and you can't escape your family. And this other one is just like, but what if you could just do whatever you wanted? And the score I've been listening to the score for the rest of the year, every once in a while, just so many little good things. Like it, the performances, the the production design, like everybody seems to know what movie they're in. And I, I it's my favorite comedy. I, well, it's not my favorite comedy of the year, but it's, it's one of the best.
0: Yeah, Rachel Sennett and Iowa Debris were uh, great together. I was actually um, kind of amused to when the Independent Spirit Award nominations came out. Marshawn Lynch uh, is in there for his role as their yeah. as their just over-the-top <laughs> feature. Um, it was definitely a very creative film. Uh, what is your number nine?
1: Okay. My number nine is a sad story. Uh, My number nine dropped from my number one of the year when I decided to uh, get real with things, but it is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Uh, It is a movie that unfortunately is just a little overshadowed by the achievements of, I believe, Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse, and a great year in animation. And... As much as I adore this movie, and I feel like there's something special about it that's being missed in in the mix of it being a recognizable IP. So, so many people just like, oh, I know what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is. So, they just kind of dismiss it. They miss like a spark of originality in almost every aspect of the movie. Like, this movie is like Into the Spider-Verse in the way that it's animated, but it is not the same as any one of the art styles that's in that movie it is it is a playful exploration of of teenagers and the sorts of action adventure that they enjoy and it is it's so much fun and it's such it's like the lightest movie of the year to enjoy for me and and that that just was floating me through so many like heavy things happening it is like probably the ultimate in escapism, and just the 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 f- the willingness to have these actors just improvise and build the movie around them. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, they're fantastic, and and I just this is another one that I I, I want to see a sequel to. And like I'm, mean, if we're gonna have sequels coming from things, I'd rather it be aimed at things like Wonka and Teenage Ninja Turtles than other projects. So.
0: And back-to-back films with Iowa Debris for you, uh, as she voiced April O'Neil in that April one. O'Neil. You know that that was on my short list of animated films uh, for the year. Two, I thought it was very interesting that it did not make the Golden Globe field, and Mario Brothers, which I know it made money, but is so mid, it's not even worth mentioning is on there i'm going to be curious to see where we end up with the slate of five for the academy awards but it was a big year for animated films and there are a lot of high profile animated ones we curious to see where that one ends up falling there was a lot of people that really love that and really love that as their favorite animated film uh my number nine is american fiction uh this one uh comes from writer director cord jefferson and it is um based on a novel it is about a disgruntled uh writer and professor um monk ellison who is played uh by jeffrey wright um, who's going through a bit of a tough time personally some things happening with his family with his sister with his mother with his career and at the same time he's in a funk because he thinks he's writing these great and important books but can't get anyone to bite meanwhile he sees things that he thinks are commercial sellouts that don't do well so in a fit of rage he decides to write the fakest of fake books he can think about and send it to a publisher just to stick it to him And you can probably guess where this goes, and you can guess (coughs) how that does not help his feeling and sentiment. Jeffrey Wright is great here. Sterling K. Brown, who plays his brother, who's going through his own kind of personal crises, is incredible as well. This is a hilarious film. It's in limited release now, goes wide on Friday, January 5th so i hope a lot more people get to check it out uh my number eight a complete tonal shift from my number nine and that would be david fincher's the killer uh which dropped on netflix in november netflix had a huge slate of releases at the end of the year and they were pumping so many different things i think a lot of things got lost and this is one i feel like not enough people were talking about michael fassbender plays a titular assassin in this who um you get to know through a lot of series of voiceovers and seeing kind of the meticulous way he tries to do his career. Things don't go well for him uh, at, in the opening sequence, and that sets off a series of events that kind of carries through the rest of the film. I love what David Fincher did and his direction here. Michael Fassbender gives one of my favorite performances of the year by by a lead actor. Um, I loved the writing here. I loved the, the monologues on the script. This was a movie that just... As soon as I saw it, I knew it was going to end up in my final list. So uh, what is your number eight?
1: Well, real quick, my opinion of the killer, since I'm not going to end up touching on it this year. I think a lot more of the success with the writing in that movie comes from the edit. I think I think the interplay of what's going on in these monologues versus ju- like juxtaposed with what you're seeing is what makes a lot of that successful. And for that, I would say, I think this is a story in a script that's elevated by David Fincher. And if he hadn't made it and his editor and team hadn't been on it, I don't think it would have been quite as successful. But that's not to take away from what it is. I do think that is a fantastic, tense, methodical patient movie that just like hums it's it's great but uh my number eight is guardians of the galaxy volume three it has stuck with me because there i I have so much sentimentality for marvel and, and these characters and it's just something conclusive about it. And there's so much I appreciate to taking the time to end a story, especially in something that is reaching for an overarching, never ending sort of narrative. Um, Sometimes an important part of the story is the ending. And for this team to sort of conclude its journey and then be reshaped for what's going on. I I still like, again, as as far as blockbuster entertainment, this was one of the most joyous experiences I had in a theater and the crowd was not helpful in trying to get to feeling that way so um i i like the combination of the work that it took to make rocket raccoon work with bradley cooper the animators and all of that and just being the heart of this story and and the the writing to sort of take control of the character of peter quill and star lord and that, that little bit of a performance where uh, Chris Pratt was restrained a little bit, a little more grounded, a little more intellectual. Just, just so much care for the characters that you can't help but care for this bizarre other world. And also the MCU's first F-bomb. So, history. So You're,
0: you're welcome, America. There'll <laughs> probably be more since uh, Deadpool is uh, coming this summer. Yeah,
1: well, let's rate it R, then.
0: Yeah, Um, I do have that one on my list in a little bit, so I'll get to it then. What is your number seven?
1: American fiction. I loved American fiction. And I think it speaks to the movie, how your explanation of the premise takes a minute, right? It takes you a minute to explain what this movie's about, because really... I don't think it's. I don't think it's just about that. This is the movie that I was referencing with the holdovers, where it is so specific to that person, and there's so much throughline in this movie about identity and not being boiled down to something that's simple or easy to digest. That humans are more complicated, and and that and it it resonated so hard for a feeling. I have I have a huge problem sometimes with movies. Like 12 Years a Slave, you have Michael Fassbender. Um, There's some other examples. Basically, long story short, the tragedy movies where white actors get acclaim for playing racist characters and like being brave and all this kind of thing was like my kind of thread where I kind of enjoyed playing with commentary on that. Uh, and the audience that I saw this with was absolutely spectacular. It was like a hive mind of people that had most of the same reactions I did, so it felt like a very big thing. Uh, Sterling K. Brown, uh, like almost made me cry. It was fantastic. Uh, there, there's so many unexpected things that happen, and and you look at um, who has always been an underrated actor, Jeffrey Wright, as a relationship partner, as a son, as a as a brother, as a writer as a black man and like every, every aspect that could define him. I feel like it's covered to the point where you have to call this movie American fiction because you can't just call it a, a, the writer, you know, like it, it, it's, it's so well explored. It, it like not a second of that movie is wasted. I thought it was phenomenal.
0: Yeah. And it's, a, it, you're right. It is a hard movie to describe because you don't really want to give anything away <laughs> uh, yeah. you know about you know the plot and where where they're going but there were so many um great little moments and and performances and stuff too i enjoyed you know um his writer's circle when he's going through that uh, vetting process and their their skype calls and some of his back and forth with Issa ray uh it was a lot of fun for me too my number seven is uh, a movie that was probably one of the biggest surprises i had this year and that is gran turismo um i was not expecting a lot when i went to, to the theater i've never played the game um you know i have no connection to it i also didn't know anything about the real life racing story um you know not a not a big fan of that but what I got just blew me away. And I think that's a credit to Neil Blomkamp, who uh, is the director here. Um, I really enjoyed David Harbor and what he brought in in a different role. Um, Archie Maduque, who um, plays the main driver here is also great, but the racing sequences and the way that they graphically told those stories and would pull him in and out of a car and and give you that kind of video game to real life and back and forth sequence did a lot for me. I thought, I am always been a big fan of the movie Days of Thunder, which probably dates me and also says something about my personal taste. but I don't really care. Um, You know, good old 1990s Tom Cruise NASCAR film. This has a lot of story beats that made me think about that movie. but it does it in such an exceptional way to almost liken it to the uh, Top Gun Maverick, as to Top Gun, is how I feel about this movie, as to Days of Thunder. You know, it's something that I was already kind of interested in a basic premise, and just the way they did this and executed it uh, ended up being one of my surprises of the year. Yep. Yep. I'll give you a second if you want to. I mean,
1: we got a whole episode on that one, so I was going to let it go, but I, I am surprised that it made it to your list, but I can't disagree with anything that you're saying, so...
0: I know I'm an enigma. Uh, my number six is uh, Netflix is probably best shot at uh, best picture this year and in quite a few years. And that would be Maestro, the Leonard Bernstein biopic uh, from director Bradley Cooper. He also takes a starring role. He and Carrie Mulligan are very good here. Um, some of the directions, some of the sequences here really caught my eye and blew me away. Um, But it's the way that it sucks in on these two as individual performers. There are a lot of tight one shots here that just suck you in to them and to what they're doing. Um, And it just stuck with me. Um, This is one of the there were quite a few movies I watched that, that were like highly anticipated that I'd seen other people really going on about at the end of the year that I was wondering, you know, how's this gonna land for me? This is one that actually did um, land really well for me. um, That it's hard to say you enjoy it because it's not exactly a happy story uh, in a lot of ways. There are times when it's pleasant, but um, it just the the craft here, I liked the use of black and white where they used it and switching to color um we actually have there's a couple movies on my list that decided to do uh that and that has been kind of a popular thing a little bit this year um actually i was thinking about three of my top six movies did that half black and white half color in uh different ways and you know what it really works so that was my number six
1: Man, I finally got to rewatch Maestro with its Netflix release, and I found out what happened that I wasn't able to understand in the middle there was there is so much that the dialogue is not telling you that is subtext. You have to watch that movie. And I'll tell you what, getting to watch that movie again, I adore it and completely spaced that I wanted it to be on my list. So, uh, <laughs> it's up there that there's there's everything in that movie uh like film making techniques that involve like depth of field and like it changes over time with the age that these characters are in and just little touches like leonard bernstein being name dropped and it's the end of the world like right there at the at the last bit like there's so many Oh, the makeup is phenomenal. Like, talk about production design. This That's probably... Probably, for a live-action movie, production design, I think, best of the year. But, anyways, I, I'm not going to get too far down the rabbit hole, because I am going to pay respect to my actual pick for this slot, which is Past Lives. I have a, a very soft spot for a movie, uh, one of my favorites of all time, called Chungking Express. and uh that is a chinese uh movie about uh, directed by wang gawei about um love just two different stories of two different people falling in love and this is not that but the flavor of just characters living through their lives missing their chances to be together finding a chance to be together and the emotional weight out of that and the ultimate payoff of the lead actress's performance it's crushing. It's it's absolutely spectacular. I don't know I don't know how they coordinated so well across ages too with the different performers to like really feel and believe that these are kids who grew up knowing each other and just doing simple touches and not too much to have the characters age decades even though it's the same actor. Like everything has it feels like the lightest touch. But the overall thing is you feel like you're watching real people's lives and it has a lot of consequence, and it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, and this is a film that's on my list in a little bit, so I will touch on it when we get to it. What is your number five?
1: Another late-in-the-game one, Godzilla Minus One. I am not going to spoil anything. But I will tell you, I'm not the world's biggest Godzilla fan, but by the time they play his theme song, I have literal chill bumps, which happens very rarely watching a movie. I was shaken, and the context in which I watched this movie should have made that impossible, but I was shaken by just the ideas. Like it, It's not even that it's... It, this is so close to being perfect for what it's going for. It's it's incredible that I want to get into things, but I can't get into things. Okay, I'll just I'll just say that Godzilla Minus One is so caring about that core concept of the impact of natural disasters, nuclear events on Japan post-war. And it's it's almost like it took this long for a story to be comfortable with telling the story from a certain character's perspective. And now that we can jump into the mindset of a certain character, we get to explore things that we never really got to explore. And it is so... hard palpitations. It's so tense. Just the decisions that a character is going to make. I, I... It's so simple too. There's there's very strategic, like the the filmmaking behind the atomic blast and things like that. I I could go on for like a year about this, but just like the destruction is so careful, well articulated, and it's not this big cluster of of noise that you get from from some like bigger blockbuster features. It's it's purposeful and contained, and there's there's a flow to it. And it makes me think of like large battle scenes from like Akira Kurosawa movies where you can just see the flow of things and everything feels so
0: clear. Ah, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, this is actually one that I haven't gotten to see. And, you know, a lot of people have really liked it. It's made me wonder if they made a little bit of a mistake with where they released it in the year and not having a campaign for it. Because if you're going to drop mid-December, you're either well established, or you've become kind of a, a throwaway that you you weren't expecting to make. Aquaman, for mm-hmm. for example, you know, yep. where you're not really expecting it's going to do a whole lot. <clears throat> and people have been so taken and impressed with this, but it didn't have any marketing campaign. You know, and it, this is the time of the year where I watch a ton of live TV because I'm watching football, and mm-hmm. everybody and their brother throws out ads for movies this one kind of just got unceremoniously released and it's done well on word of mouth uh, but you kind of wonder if they would have put it a couple months earlier in the release schedule would it be on a lot of more people's lists would it be in a lot of competitions for special effects or other things like that that they're just kind of missing the boat Yeah, I'm sure I'll eventually see it it has been a big time too. It's it'll be interesting on the small screen right now. We have the continuation of the the what they call the monster verse with Monarch Legacy of monsters, you know, with Kurt and Wyatt Russell. That's actually building and leading into. They are releasing another feature film with Godzilla and Kong that will be out. I think it's April, March, <clears throat> something like that. That will be the continuation of the monster verse. Monarch. They actually. That? Yeah monarch is a part of that monarchs the company in there in fact it starts the whole show starts That's with right john goodman the callback yeah. long skull island and it takes place just after the aaron johnson brian cranston godzilla you get the aftermath of that in the series I, I might be getting this confused but is that not the movie where kurt and wyatt russell are playing the same characters? <laughs> yes decades apart it's a series on apple tv plus that's not
1: fair don't get me excited for one of these movies that's
0: yeah and the last i guess the last couple of episodes have really played into where we're going with uh, godzilla and x kong or something I mean, it has a pretentious title but it is coming pretty soon too so it'll be interesting a lot of uh, a lot of godzilla projects in the works right now uh My number five was uh, one that you've already done, and that's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I have always loved Guardians of the Galaxy. That is my favorite uh, film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one of my favorite superhero movies uh, of all time. Was really curious how it was going to end and was really pleased with uh, this final kind of chapter with this group of Guardians and with James Gunn, who's now kind of moved over to DC. A lot of these actors have have referenced that they're not um, probably coming back, which, you know, makes sense. Um, We've gotten a lot of great things out of here. This one uh, is for me what you kind of talked about with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for you. I had it at one at various points in the year. I had it up a lot higher. Um, you know, as I went through my final end of the year, I kind of slid it down a little bit, but not that far down. Um, still up there in my top five. <clears throat> and my number four is one that you also already went over and that is past lives. This was a movie I saw, uh, Right at the tail end of June, it was right up there among my favorite movies for the first half of 2023, and you know what? It is still holding strong up in the top four. Celine Song delivers a very heartfelt and heart-rending story. I thought Greta Lee, Tao Yu, and John Majero are incredible uh, in this. It is moving. It is bittersweet. Um, especially kind of that third act. There's just a lot of tension and emotional resonance. And there are a lot of ways it could have gone where you probably would have accepted the ending. Um, But I thought it was almost a little daring what they actually do because, you know, I think John Majero's character even gives voice to it. If this was a different movie, I'd be the evil American who stole you away and that. You know, that's, that's probably true. And, you know, They set up this epic decades long love story that just isn't meant to be. And uh, there's a beauty in the way they do it. I think Greta Lee, she's still on my short list for for best actresses this year. I really hope to see her get an Academy Award nomination. you know, this is this was a big winner in the nominations for Independent Spirit Awards. I think it could win a whole lot of things, and not all of it will be well-deserved. So that is my number four of the year. What is your number four? Barbie. It. Th- th- this is,
1: I mean, it's. this movie did not have to do half of what it did. It could, it could have easily just been the formula of the Lego movie, but with Barbie as the lead character. It, it and the previews honestly had me thinking that might be what it was going to be, but maybe it would have some quippy, like little insert adults go over the kids' heads, jokes and whatnot. What I got was a surprisingly imaginative, thoughtful, fun like endearing story about the icon of Barbie, what it means to people who grew up with it, what it would mean for people in the future. Like the extent to which they let Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach write this movie as being their own thing and just let the creatives involved with um, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, just do what they wanted to do. I like everything that they do with the idea of Ken, whether that's Simu Liu, the, the Ryan Gosling, like any Ken, like it's so much fun. And I know there are a bunch of people who want to whine and moan about, you know, the movie messaging or trying to be something that I don't think it is. Uh it's just a fun concept. Like th- th- just this one point alone I get so much joy out of is Ken trying to explain how once he realized that the patriarchy wasn't about horses, he lost interest, but it had run away from him. Like, it, it was so good. Every actor just does exactly what they need to do. Uh, shout out to Kate McKinnon uh, for just, like, representing that concept of, of the weird Barbie. I think most people have, like, that toy they played too rough with and did something silly with. And, like, everyone can... I think everyone can identify with most of the experiences that are being brought up in the movie. I think it is a very universal, just like fun, funny. It, it, it really is like the, the ultimate consequence free lighthearted escapist fun movie of the entire year. The rest of the movies that I have have some emotional heart and weight to them. That's a little bit more the point because i think this has some weight to it too but that's i don't think as much the point as it is just so much fun
0: yeah it is a lot of fun i i have that a little uh, higher up on my list so i'll get to that when it uh, appears in my order but what is your number three killers of the flower moon and i want to
1: have like the music playing or something just to talk about this movie like it's been so engaging just to watch other people's opinions on this movie because Martin Scorsese and Thelma Schoenmacher is the editor
0: yeah yeah Schoonmacher.
1: they Schoonmacher, yeah they have this this documentary aesthetic and this movie flirts so close with just being documentary in some sequences and some shots that it was almost too real for me. It I hit the highest highs and lowest lows of any movie of the year watching this movie where I honestly felt like, I don't know if I can kind of stomach this in the mood that I'm in right now, but it's it's sort of like you're dealing with so much tragedy. And I I have said this before, I'll say it again. They knew exactly when to tell you something awful happened versus show you something awful happened versus act like they're going to merciful mercifully not make you watch what happened and then at the right time make you sit through what happened. Like it is it is tragic and it's horrific and it's I think despite my reservations about Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, I think it was a great decision to have him not be the FBI agent. But I will say this. I forgot Jesse Plemons was in the movie. And when he walked on screen, I was like, kind of looks like they were going for like a dirtier Jesse Plemons aesthetic. And I wonder if you switched the actors in these roles. I wonder if it would have worked.
0: Well, so this is based on the nonfiction book uh, from David Mann, uh, which I have and have not finished. But I listened to a really interesting uh, discussion. So originally when they purchased the rights, the book is called Killers of the Flower Moon, the creation of the FBI. And so a lot of the focus of it is on the investigation and how it kind of created the modern federal law enforcement, which if you've seen the movie, even though it's three and a half hours, that is not among the top 10 things they decided to do, but originally that was going to be the focus and Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be the lead FBI agent. And that's what they were going to do. And Martin Scorsese decided that wasn't the story he wanted to tell. And they went back to the drawing board and Leonardo DiCaprio took a different part and they made it very much more about the Osage nation. And so you kind of get the FBI part almost as a little bit of a, a tack in you know later in the production so you might you might be on to something there um it's it's an interesting choice and i think it's a bold choice that that works
1: i will say regardless of what some other people said lily gladstone is my to pick for top actress of the year and i think it is because of the idea of acting being reacting and her ability to just be present and engage i think that that scene where she challenges right towards the end leonardo dicaprio to be truthful with her is crushing and i think it is entirely due to her performance and her pivoting and reacting off of him i i, I think she's amazing and i think robert de niro is oh just so incredible it's it's this movie feels in a, in a weird way this is so not a priority for the movie but it's sort of a celebration of that relationship between Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro where he has this sort of king on a on a grubby throne sort of position and I don't know there's just I, I thinking of things like Mean Streets and and Taxi Driver and just the it's it's so interesting watching watching Martin Scorsese continue to thrive as a filmmaker so many years into his career. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, DiCaprio definitely has the more showy role, but I, you know, that's one of the things as I've reflected and gone further in the year, I've dropped him a lot further down my kind of actor rankings. Lily Gladstone has always remained, you know, up in that top three to five um, grouping. There are some, some incredibly strong lead female performances this year it's going to be fascinating to see how that all plays out and more heartbreakingly to see who doesn't end up making the cut for the academies because you know the one thing about the globes which are actually a week from tomorrow um, we'll probably talk about a little bit next week is you get 10 um, for the globes because they divide them to that you know drama and comedy even though i don't know exactly how they make their arcane um decision about what falls into what category That's but that so field's going to drop down uh, quite a bit and be interesting to see Uh, My number three was one that I came to uh, later in the game, and that's because it uh, came to all of us later in the game. got a limited release on December 8th, kind of went a little bit wider December 22nd, but I I still don't think it's playing in a lot of places, and that is Poor Things. Uh, It comes from Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, He is a unique filmmaker, to say the least. I think you either uh, like what he's doing or you – don't like what he's doing uh you know he did the lobster um which is very creative the favorite which i understood what they were doing but that didn't resonate as hard with me this one from the opening visuals i was really drawn in this is uh the second of my uh, three films up here that that do a mixture of black and white and color, and it is masterful the way they decide to do that. The black and white really works, but where they where they pop in color and the early going, and when they transition to color, the the use of color, the use of building the world, is. Fantastic, Uh, bold choices with both a score and the way it's shot with the different kind of camera and lens styles. Again, both of those things I think are either going to work for you or they really aren't going to work for you. Um, This one is based on a novel. um, So they're they're kind of adapting from that story. It is not a story that's going to sit for everyone. Uh, My favorite uh, TV reviewer, uh, Alan Sepinwall, uh, watched this movie and I loved his his review comment uh, on Letterbox was something like I thought uh, I would never see a more uncomfortable sex scene with Emma Stone than the one I saw in The Curse. Boy, was I wrong! Very, very wrong. Um, that is a hundred percent accurate. Uh, this is probably not for the faint of art. A heart. It is definitely an R-rated film. I found it um, hilarious and. Emma Stone gives a completely unencumbered and bold performance uh, that is great. There are a ton of great supporting uh, performances. I liked Willem Dafoe. I really liked Gerard Carmichael uh, in a section that he is in. um, was one of the standouts for me. This was a movie that it just worked for me, and it easily just kind of slipped up into the top three.
1: that movie is hands down one of the best movies of the year. It all just comes down to personal preference. And like you said, there are people who either fall on one aspect or the other. I, I do plan on rewatching this one. It was not an, it was enough to like shock me and make me uncomfortable. Uh, but in a way that I feel like That's I'm definitely going yeah, to appreciate it more. Well, I, I kind of like uh, the, what you said, I, I, this might sound a little pretentious to take it seriously, but not for the faint of art. That. That is a really thoughtful way to describe this movie because the entire thing, the making of this movie is arguably as fascinating or more than the movie itself with the the relationship between Yorgos Lanthimos and Emma Stone, Emma Stone as a producer, is sort of that relationship uh, in Barbie with Margot Robbie and, um,
0: Greta Gerwig,
1: Greta Gerwig. And, um that just sort of trade off ideas for this story that Emma Stone knew she wanted to do from the beginning. So a movie that could have ended up feeling a little exploitative is is not by the narrative of the creation of the movie. And hearing Mark Ruffalo and other actors in interviews talk about the process of of rehearsing and building the movie and essentially having already Done the movie in this these theatrical exercises that they they did together off screen, and then to treat the camera as a tool and not thinking, well, what are the rules for making a movie? Well, it's dialogue, so you shoot one person over here and you shoot one person over here. No, this this shot needs to be something youthful, like the world is big and new, so we're gonna do a fisheye lens and we're gonna move around and just like some things almost feel cartoony but then some things like I, there's there's surreal and then there's way too real and then there's this idea of like being a new brain that is 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 new to the world but then there's that idea that that means everything that you're doing with this you're doing with the baby like <sighs> i couldn't it's there's too many flavors to me there's a scale of yorgos Lanth- lanthimos and the lobster is on one end and dog tooth is on the other end and this is like humming back and forth across the middle of that line for me, and i haven't decided how i feel about it yet
0: i mean it's it's definitely edgy too and like i said it's it's not gonna be for everyone um, <laughs> You know, people who say that that it was too much and that they hated it, I totally understand. Um, There are choices, and either artistically it's going to work for you. And this this is not the kind of story I normally would... Be interested in but it was the production and the whole you no know, i don't think any actor on both the big and small screen has just sold out more for their craft this year than emma stone between this and uh, if you aren't if you haven't seen the curse um that you know benny Safty and i'm forget nathan fielder created it and it is incredibly uncomfortable and cringeworthy in its comedy and execution and she just goes out for it and she is the anchor star in both those projects and just an incredible of i'm committed to this i'm going to do everything it takes and makes it work and that that was a lot from of what kind of sells it to for me because i think even all that craft if you didn't have some of the if you didn't have that anchor performance, this would have gotten away from them real quick. Yep. Um, so my number two, I'm, I'm just going to preface by saying my, my number one and number two were movies that I saw and loved in the middle part of the year that I rewatched both of them back to back last night. and First thing this morning, as I was firming up where, I, you know, whether this was the right order and where I was going to put them. And I'm just going to say, there's technically a one and a two. I think they're one a and one B. Um, it's really hard for, for me to separate. I, I left it the way that it ultimately was. And so number two for me is Oppenheimer, um, Christopher Nolan's biopic on J Robert Oppenheimer, uh, that was released in July. Um, you know, Another one of our longer films this year, clocking in right about three hours, probably the longest that he's done, but not by much. Killian Murphy um, is still my pick, of my favorite lead male uh, performance of the year. Um, I felt that even more strongly watching it again last night, the Trinity uh, sequence, uh, the Trinity test sequence. Just the craft that goes in here, the care, the way that it is expertly put together, the dueling storylines. This is the third one that uses a mixture of black and white and color, but in a very specific way here to articulate the points of view between these two dueling people, Robert Oppenheimer and Louis Strauss, uh, and the way that they do it and the way it all comes together in the last act. And you kind of see Strauss's fall at the Senate hearings, juxtaposed almost immediately by finally hearing what Oppenheimer and um, Albert Einstein said to one another out by that lake that you see early in the film that's referenced all throughout is just incredibly powerful Killian Murphy is incredible in this Um, I love Robert Downey Jr and his performance too there are so many um, rich performances but for me this is also about Christopher Nolan Um, he's one of if not my favorite director and he is right in his element here the way these things are put together um it's just masterful and i know you have it coming up so i'll let you get to it there what uh, what is your number two uh
1: my number two for the year is uh, spider-man across the spider-verse and uh, honestly, it, it, it took the movie moves so fast that I, I think in an initial viewing, it's it's difficult to appreciate just how impossible this movie is. It's th- this movie is actually technically crafted by three to five different teams of directors making their own movies that are all many sequences that lead, like fit in an overarching narrative. Every time you're in someone else's different world, there's usually a different head of creative department that was put piecing together like the team in order to establish the aesthetic of that world. And so I, I just think as an achievement in animation, as an achievement in uh superhero movie storytelling and as just Another in a memorable of of what really aren't that many second act stories that really I think earn their place as as a meaningful second part. Like I, I think this movie does stand on its own, even though it's a movie that intentionally does not stand on its own. And just like everyone's commitment to their roles and getting engrossed in in things, I like. I don't know, I don't even know who to to specify here, but just like, there's this idea of this hero called Spider-Man, and he is an icon, an idea in our world, in our society, that represents something about the everyday person and what they would do if they had the power to overcome impossible odds, if they had the intelligence, if they had the strength, if they had all of these things. And what this franchise of movies does is really shows you that that core idea can apply to anyone. That Spider-Man isn't just about a dude who shoots webs and is smart, that it's, it is an idea with a few, it's almost got its own mythology of character B-points of these, of these, um, canon events that have to apply to everyone that we sort of, it pushes up against starting to realize like the way that we consume superhero stories and relay them in how we go through these beats in our lives, or we are faced with a problem. We try and overcome that problem. We fail. We try again. Eventually we find the way to succeed and we overcome these hurdles. It is boiled down so personally. And it's, it's just then on top of that, Miles Morales as a singular character stands out from the crowd and says, "I'm gonna do my own thing." It's so powerful. It's 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 so much more powerful than just Spider-Man the IP. It's and it, it just I can't, oh, like it, it, it's beyond anything I can imagine. And and it's, it's it's no one person is responsible for this movie. It's an amazing collaborative like achievement yeah
0: yeah and this is still my favorite animated film of the year this was probably my my toughest cut it ends up at number 13 for me just you know when i did my final shuffle this was the one that that bounced just out of my top 12 um i really enjoyed spider-man across the spider-verse and and what they what they did i thought it was a great follow-up to the first one um and i think it's going to be a major player especially in the animated feature category what we have made it to the final moment what is your number one
1: oppenheimer which has uh from your family a much funnier and more satisfying title that i I won't spoil i'm gonna let that be a private thing um The I just appreciate it a lot. It just has to be known. You mean my Um,
0: my wife's one one line review that it was an old man bitch fight, which you know you can still appreciate the film and acknowledge that that's probably a little bit true.
1: Yeah, it is. It is devastating. It is. It is so devastating. I when I walked out of that movie, I had this feeling twice this year. Where when I walked out of Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon, I thought. How cynical does it feel to just go to Walmart and just pick up this movie like it's the next Marvel movie, you know, like, and to just have like, you know, it, it is, it's, I think it's telling that there is so much care and and such an influence from Christopher Nolan that this 4K disc has sold out so much and has become such a big deal with the bonus features and all that. But that's not really the movie itself. The movie itself. (sighs) It's things that I would take for granted. It's the practical effects all over. It's the idea that there are only minimal visual effects. There's not one shot in the movie that doesn't have a practical in front of camera thing to it. It is is structured, I think, perfectly for the story that they were trying to tell. I think for telling an over three-hour movie, it is so engaging and 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 it's like a a roller coaster it's non-stop it is thrilling and there are performances all over the movie like josh hartnett and uh and gary oldman and just like little players that come in and do their part and steal little scenes and and i agree killian murphy i think is is the actor of the year i think to hold down and do justice to a story like this of this size and scale and weight. And to raise so many questions and give just enough answers to what What did we do to ourselves? <laughs> like, what what have we done as human beings on this earth to push ourselves to this point in this extreme? Like, what are we responsible for? And what are our responsibilities now, knowing what we have done in history? Like, it's it's so funny to me. I love, by the way, that and this is going to seem like a weird pivot that Christopher Nolan is a Zack Snyder fanboy. Um, I, it's it's just it's the it's the weight of the important. I mean, I feel like it confirms role.
0: everything I feel in my life. Yeah, you.
1: yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny to me that that. I can think Uh,
0: that he he and Murphy have just such a long history working together. Murphy appeared in almost all of the Batman ones. He's also in Inception. I mean, he's never been like the guy. He's an interstellar, too. He's a robot. Yeah. So. Yeah,
1: like it, it's just the 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 idea that even Christopher Nolan can understand the weight of of the story that he's telling and how important it is to tell it, and then just be like, "Can't wait to go to my friend's house and watch Rebel Moon." Like, he's an maybe, amazing guy.
0: Maybe they like, watch uh, is Gray and not Rebel Moon. That's where I'm going to in my heart.
1: There you go. To keep myself um,
0: from. Lord. It's
1: he. He's he's an enigma and he's astounding and hearing everyone talk about his craft on set and how he runs his, his direction and, and Robert Downey Jr. Who I think was amazing in the movie. It just, again, this is a movie that feels too big to just kind of like, feel like I have one or two sentences that sums up my feelings about it. It is something to go to, to study and to think and to learn and to understand and to feel to feel driven to do something with your life i mean with what else is going on like i just like if there was ever anything that was anxious enough to shake someone out of depression it's this movie like it is it's it's the biggest it's the best movie of the year like i I, yeah that's mine
0: Well, and it feels fitting, you know, that was my number two and your number one. Um, These these movies have been inextricably tied um, for over a year. Um, You know, for 18 months, we have known they were going to come out. And my number one is um, Barbie, you know, and I mentioned it comes down to almost, you know, 1A and 1B. This was the order that I've had them in um, really close back to back all year long and watching them back to back, um, you know, I could make a case for either of them, but I ended up settling with Barbie staying as my number one movie of the year. Um, Just a fantastic, my wife says, so I can stay married, but it was actually, you know, I made that autonomous of anything else. And you talk about big ideas and, and emotional weight and have, And I actually think that that is a huge part of this movie that took something that, you know, we've seen them make toy movies before. We have like 95 mediocre G.I. Joe and Transformer movies um, that are evidence to that. And what were they going to do with this? Uh, You know, Greta Gerwig is a very fascinating Actress and writer, but now filmmaker. You know, Lady Bird. I thought there were some moving pieces and performances that I didn't love it as much as some other people. But I was really taken with what she did with her version of Little woman and the non-linear way that she put that story together to give it a new sense of life and the performances they pulled out. And she just, you know, continues to up her game here with with Barbie and the the beautiful performances, but also the beautiful cultural commentary i mean there are things in here that you can't help but feel called out. i was thinking about that this morning they actually do it what could almost come off as a throwaway line about uh you know has all the energy of you know somebody who's racing out to see Zack snyder's justice league you know, I love that movie, but I understand exactly what they're talking about. The tos- toxic masculinity that has come out there. They they have some great jokes about Godfather. Another movie that, that I deeply love, but I understood what they were saying about men and male culture. But then just the deep appreciation for um, the challenges and what it means to be a woman. America Ferrara's speech that she gets there, um, you know, near the end of the second act remains incredibly moving and poignant you know her performance you know she's on my short list for best supporting actresses uh, for what she did there i really love what margot robbie does to um the writing the direction and then you have these really fun but sometimes beautifully haunting musical numbers too uh you know you have the highest of highs with you know i'm just ken which actually has a lot of emotional weight and depth too, but the way they play it out and the way it's choreographed and the way they bring Barbie land and all those bright colors to life and kind of contrast that with the world. But then Billie Eilish's song, what was I made for that kind of plays at the end when Rhea Perlman is showing Barbie, what it means to be a woman is another beautiful musical moment moment that has a completely different, you know, feel and tone. And there is just all that wrapped up into this film. I thought it was a, a masterful production. I may have appreciated it more on rewatch than I even did the first time I saw it.
1: You know, it's really interesting. Bombs and Barbie dolls, the relationship with, man and the earth and the relationship with woman and the earth there i i do feel like these are tied together like forever i really hope it stays that way
0: yeah and you know we were we were lucky enough it just so happens honestly some of the best and richest movies we got this year were right in the heart of summer you know in that month of june and july you know we had um Spider-Verse, which is up there for you, Past Lives, Barbie and Oppenheimer. I mean, it was a huge uh summer, but not just for big blockbusters, but for some meaningful films that have stuck with us throughout the year. Well, those are our top 12 lists. Hopefully, uh, you know, you have gotten a chance to see some of this or it sparked an interest in some of them some of these are still kind of rolling out and we'll get to be uh to a wider audience as we go through uh the rest of this winter and spring but it's been uh a blast this year to go through uh 2023 i can't wait to see what 2024 has for us yeah So with that, we will bid you a Happy New Year. Eric and I will be back with our first episode of 2024 next week, where we will be looking at the first major wide release of the year, which is the horror film Night Swim that I still out a trailer for and still have no blasted idea what the movie is about. Uh, But we will also be talking about American fiction um, in a little bit broader terms as it drops its wide release. So until then, we will see you guys at the movies in the new year.